0: Hey, this is Sayyam Bhutani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science, a podcast for data science enthusiasts, where I interview practitioners, researchers, and Kagglers about their journey, experience, and talk all things about data science. Welcome to Chai with great open source creators, great researchers. In this episode, I interview William Falcon, creator of PyTorch Lightning and CEO at Grid AI. We talk about William's journey from Navy SEAL trainee to an iOS developer in the financial world to becoming a founder of a company. And then later transitioning into deep learning research. We learn about how William has applied his passion in different fields, how that has helped him and how the inception of PyTorch Lightning has happened. The core philosophies behind it and the community, how that has come together throughout these months. We touch upon a lot of things and briefly upon grade AI and its mission. All of these things that we talk about are there in the show notes. So please feel free to check them out. But without further ado, here's my interview with the creator of PyTorch Lightning, William Falcon, please enjoy the show. I am very excited and honored to be talking to William Falcon on the show. William, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me.
0: So you've had a very interesting background. I usually start by talking about my hero's background. You were training, uh, you're going through the Navy buds training. I'm from India. So please help me understand what that is. And I read that you transitioned into the intelligence unit from there. Uh,
1: what, What was that about? Yeah, so uh, BUDS stands for Basic Underwater Demolition SEAL Training. So it's, um, if you want to do special operations uh, in the Navy um, and you want to go into the SEAL teams, BUDS is kind of the first training thing that you do, right? So, um, and then from there you go to advanced SEAL training and then, you know, more training once you get to a SEAL team. Um, So it's, uh, I think if you Google Navy SEAL stuff like BUDS is I think what comes up the most. Um, it looks very scary for sure yeah it's um you know i i think like a lot of people can do it like it's really i know it's silly to say but it's mostly mental um it's just about not quitting right like i think the hardest times and butts for people generally are like um waking up right because <laughs> you're like wow i have to do this again all day like that's crazy right <laughs> um so yeah, so I, I, I got started. So I started my career in the, in the US Navy, right? So I, I was undergoing um, BUDS training and I was there for a while, for a few years. And, you know, I, the first time I went through training I got pneumonia, so I had to like kind of start over. And then um, the second time I, I, I came out of Hell Week with some injuries and um, that, that was a problem because at the time the military was kind of downsizing. And so if you had any issues, which I already had pneumonia once, so they were like, no, we're not going to do this again. Um, You know, they kind of like were trying to figure out um, how to downsize. And so if you came out of that, they basically gave you options, right? They're like, you can do something else in the military or leave. Um, And so I actually ended up going to to one of the SEAL teams. Um, uh, It's called SRT1 now. And you know, it's, um, they, they do a lot of really cool intelligence stuff. Right. Um, and so I was working with them for a bit and then, um, you know, I I think like I was not able to go back to training. So, so that really sucked to finish uh, seal training. So then, you know, I kind of, I, I left the Navy, um, and I was trying to figure out what to do next. Right. So I think my whole like life, I was like, okay, I'm going to do this for 20 years. Um, so there was no backup plan, (laughs) um, (laughs) So I was like, all right, well, I don't really know what to do now. Um, I think the only skill set I really had, you know, I learned a lot of stuff in SEAL training, um, but I think the tangible, like, translatable skill set was uh, finance. I just been like, tr- you know, trading stocks since I was very young. Uh, so I ended up walking into Merrill Lynch and got a job, and like that was very shocking to me because I was like, well, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, and so I did that for a few years, and then. Um, you know, during that time, I, I think it was like there was like a Stanford class for online about iOS development. And I was like, oh, this, this iPhone stuff looks cool. And like, you know, it was like 2010, like it was like 2012, I want to say. So like iPhones had just started to be a thing. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, maybe I'll make some apps. And I knew nothing about CS, right? So I, I just started coding Objective-C and Java, which were like the worst languages to start. <laughs> um, and uh, are. Yeah, and it was so difficult. I remember like doing Objective C, and like that was right before Arc came out, which is the automatic reference counting. And I was going through the code, and like literally the first code I've ever seen, and like I noticed there was a pattern. You had to like call line in every function and then call another line at the end, and it was like malloc and free, right? And then I, I was just like, I don't know why, but like when I don't do this, things crash, right? So I was like, I guess I'm gonna do this. <laughs> um, and so then Arc came out, and I was like, oh, that's what it does. That makes sense. Um, So, so I continued on the iPhone track for a while and, you know, I was still working in finance, um, but I started getting into like,
0: how do I automate
1: a lot of these things? Right. Uh, Obviously hedge funds do a lot of this, but um, I was like more excited about the automation and like doing this like quantitatively, but you know, I never studied math or anything. So um, I, you know, I ended up running into friends and I got encouraged to apply to kind of go back to college. Right. So I ended up applying to Columbia university and, you know, like my grades in high school were terrible, right? So, like, I was like, never gonna go to Ivy League. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I was like, this is not gonna happen. Um, but you know, I studied hard, and I think like a lot of what I learned in SEAL training was about not giving up. Like, I think that sounds silly, but like, really, just like it's not about what you can do; it's about how much energy and effort you can put into it. And so I was like, I don't know, I just got through this. Like, I'm pretty sure I can study for this SAT thing and like to figure it out, right? So I ended up doing uh, fairly well and then got accepted to Columbia. And then, um, you know, like night and day, just like jumped straight into CS. Uh, I already knew a lot of programming then. So I was like, I think I was ahead of my peers, um, but then um, I started getting to math, right? And I was like, okay, calc. And uh, yeah, I did not do well in calc <laughs> in, the, in the first like half of my calculus class. So um, so I ended up studying really hard. and ended up, you know, doing really well in that class. and actually loved calculus after that and ended up you know majoring in math as well um and you know I think I was like yeah it it was I I was um you know like everyone who showed up to Columbia at that point they all knew like calc one two three four linear algebra from high school right like they were super prepared so there I was playing catch up for a few years there (laughs) just to like learn all the math um so it's never too late if you want to go back to school just do it i promise it's fine <laughs> like pretty much after like year two everyone's on the same same footing um and um you know i continue doing mobile apps and during that process i um ended up getting recruited by goldman sachs um to basically build some um there were like work there's this group called marquee you guys should check it out if you want to go into finance but they're working on a lot of um, new stuff like internal apps right so they, they, a lot of those things, like they'll spin out into startups on their own. Um, and back then, you know, they were like, it's a startup. And I was like, okay, great. And like, yes, it, it was more free and like you had less red tape, but, you know, you had a lot of money and you had recruiters. So like now that I know what a startup is, that's definitely not a startup, but it's close, right? <laughs> okay. um, and, and so, um, yeah, I ended up doing that and then, you know, left, left finance after like a year because I really got into deep learning. And I wanted to, um, to use deep learning on the trading floor. And, you know, the, like the quote that they said was, you can recommend movies and people won't like them. That's fine. But if you recommend a $2 billion trade and they don't like the trade, like that's, that's a problem, right? Yes. <laughs> so I think that still holds true in finance today. I'm sure hedge funds are more open to it. So I left and I started uh, my own company, right? Um, and that was to help, you know, people like me, low-income students who came from different countries, You know, if you like, you're not from the U.S. And um, I assume like the U.S. educational system is a mystery, right? I mean, it was to me, I'm not from here either. I'm I'm from Mm -hmm. Latin America. So, you know, for people like us, when we go to the United States, like you don't know all the things that these people know, like SATs, how to apply, scholarships, like what colleges to go to, so many details. So the the startup we used, um, you know, I think it was like probably some of the first NLP to go into production. Um, where we basically built a system that would go through chats and like, help you, uh, they would like talk to you, but like there were human in the loops, obviously to help you like figure out how to apply for financial aid and like what colleges to go to. So we ended up growing that company to about 68, 65,000 users. And they got about, I don't know, $38 million with the financial aid, which was really cool. And then, um, you know, I continued doing deep learning. And so I, I then, um, I applied a PhD during, during that time frame. Um and I ended up getting an offer to work to to go to NYU and work with um Kyung Hin Cho and then later Yan Lacoon, right? And so I was like, yeah, of course, <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> um and and at the same time, we had an amazing offer to acquire the startup. So we sold the company and then I uh, I you know I joined NYU and started the PhD. Um and then that's probably when I started working on Lightning Prep a few months after that. So um I uh you know I was coming from the startup world where I had spent two years putting models into production and I used a lot of TensorFlow for the first like year and change. And then. Why would you do
0: that to yourself?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, because back then, like I was like, Oh no, TensorFlow is faster for inference and all this other stuff. And I was like, okay. And then the papers that came out were in TensorFlow. And so it was easier to just adopt the papers and then modify for whatever. So I ended up rewriting a lot of the stuff into PyTorch. And then we ended up using PyTorch internally for production and it was great. And it worked super well. Um, and, you know, we were streaming like real-time chats, right? Like to you text us and then we give you a reply very quickly. So it, it was, it was great. So, so I was uh, like, okay.
0: you were analyzing text in real time and this was a little ago before uh, PyTorch had shifted their focus on being more production-ready, right?
1: Yeah, before that, exactly. So we were still running even stuff on the Python runtime. Like we were just, we were just um, scaling horizontally, right? Which was great. Um, and like what we would do is, we had many models, like we had a reinforcement learning model that would basically given what you talked to us about, we would help guide you into like a decision about something that was beneficial for you, right? The reward function was like your financial health, <laughs> like how much money you got for college. And then, you know, the actions were like, what you said to us and what we said back to you. And then we ended up kind of like walking you through that process, right? And then another, other models that were around taking all the chats and everything you did and put them into context, right? So you chatted, chatted, and maybe we we're talking for a month and like, I have to be able to like understand that and then suggest things to say to you to continue you in that journey. Right. So that's a lot of what we built. Um, and this was like before Bert and all these other things. Right. So um, it was still pretty good. I think even today, probably still works well. Bert would definitely crush it if we used it now. Um, but it, it was, I remember giving a talk that year. and like, I don't think really, it was in New York and there was like all these companies. I'm like, people were like, deep learning production, how, right? And I was like, it's not that crazy. <laughs> so I think we were definitely one of the first people to like start pushing um, that and like real-time chats. Um, and then, um, you know, then I started my PhD and, you know, um, Kyunghyun is a phenomenal NLP, right? So Hyun was one of the people who introduced attention to the world, right? Um, GRUs, like really incredible stuff, seek-to-seek models. And so I wanted to understand that stuff really well. So I spent the first few months doing NLP research. Um, and then BERT came out, right? And by that point, I had already switched to like speech or something. So I was like, okay, great. Like, you know, NLP is very consuming. Like you have to do a lot, like you BPE and lowercase and all these different things, right? So the mm-hmm. processing is very crazy. And, um, and so, so the, first, the first lightning really was built for NLP, right? It was built to do seek to seek to do, to do um, Transformers, to do all that stuff because that's what we were doing for research. Um, and then from there, I shifted into audio, right? So I started w- working on Tachotron and kind of speech synthesis. And so it continued with that recurrent um, idea and then sequential models, right? And so that's why I view sliding today. You see they're like, just built in everywhere. It's like this ability to go through hidden states very quickly and like reference things and do attention because it was built around that first. Um, and then um, you know, I continued that research for probably six, seven-ish months. Um, and ended up getting into a bottleneck where PyTorch didn't support complex numbers, and so I couldn't do my research. And so the decision was: learn CUDA, or go to TensorFlow, or switch directions. So I switched directions. <laughs> <laughs> Makes sense. To me. Um, I, you know, I did give it a fair shot though. I did implement this uh, this complex number library in PyTorch, um, and it, it, it does work. It's on my GitHub. You can look at it. Um, but it's not optimized for CUDA. So when we were doing these cells, the recurrent was too slow to do anything meaningful. Right. So I was like, no way, like this is, I've, this is way too much. Like I wrote a whole complex number library for this project. Like I'm not going to learn CUDA, like this is not the time for that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And so I switched into vision and I, I guess my research is more fundamental. Generally, it's not really about vision or speech or anything. It's about I, I guess I always try to come at it from the fundamental, and this is really what what Kyung Hyun and Yan do, right? Like they focus on core ideas, um, Wasserstein GANs, attention, these kind of big things that can like translate to many other um, modalities. And you know, what I started to focus on was self-supervised learning. How can we learn without data, right? Um, sorry, without labels. And um, you know, we switched pretty hard into that. And that was also when I started at Facebook, right? So I I started FAIR as an intern um, that summer. And, you know, I, I had open source lightning before that. It was like probably two or three months before that. So people at NYU could use it. And then when I joined FAIR, um, you know, I continued my research into self-supervised learning, but I hadn't gotten to the point Now, if I knew now, what I know about self-supervised learning, I probably wouldn't have done it. But at the time I didn't know you needed like a thousand machines to train. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so and William I was
0: is like, not even kidding. It's, it's literally a thousand machines sometimes.
1: Yeah. It's, it's insane. And so. I get to Facebook and I'm like, great, we have a lot of compute. So like, let me use that, right? And at that point, Lightning, um, I think it only did DP. So data parallel, right? So it only worked on a few GPUs. And so I spent like a month and a half just figuring out how to get ImageNet to run in a few minutes uh, on the Facebook cluster, right? Per epoch. So, um, you know, I ended up adding all the 16-bit precision, all the distributed training, like all those tricks. And then ended up getting, I think when I started at Facebook, like my ImageNet epoch was like probably like 72 hours per epoch, right? <laughs> okay. But by the time I was done optimizing all of this, I'm like, you know, I worked with, and by the way, I worked with a lot of people at Fair who helped do this, right? Like from incredible teams. Um, they taught me a lot of what I know today. So a lot of distributed stuff that you see in Lightning today comes honestly from Fair. Like it's just like a lot of stuff that we do internally, but it's only a handful of people who do it, right? And so I betted all this Lightning. By the time I was done with ImageNet, I, I was able to train it, get it down to about 45 seconds per e right? Wow. <laughs> Which is insane because to do that, you need about 512 V100s, 32 gigs each, training really fast, um, also on half precision, right? Um, so, so that's where the scalability came in. And then I started, um, you know, but I was doing research. So like in, in our research world, like we have to search hyperparameters. And so I, it's not like I was training one model. You know, I would spin up a dozen models each on 500 GPUs, and like there's still limits at Facebook, so I had to get like permissions and stuff to help out with this. Um, but I was like using a lot of compute, right? And so, and so the the cluster manager, who's a good friend now, <laughs> he would ping me <laughs> all the time. Be like, listen, I, like you're way over your quota. Like I don't know what you're doing, right? <laughs> um, and then. Um, and then, you know, I think, uh, so anyway, so it was really slow to go through my research. So the internship ended and I actually didn't publish anything because we were like we we, we got somewhere, but um, it wasn't like a state of the art result. Right. So I, I stayed on a fair as a researcher, um, you know, while doing your PhD. And so, so I continued to like optimize things and, and continue to work on self-supervised learning. Um, and then, you know, like lightning had already started to be used by fair and then a few people internally like not facebook guy but like in the app itself and like other parts of it were using it and so my time shifted from like research to like okay can you support this thing i'm like okay sure can you support this other thing right i'm like okay fine <laughs> and so like i basically spent all that whole fall just like building all these features cuz people needed them and and like trying to do research. And then I was like, okay, I'm like spending all my time coding for you guys instead of doing my own research, right? <laughs> so, I saw
0: a tweet where you had mentioned that even on Sunday mornings, you're just going through all of the issues. And at that point, you were actually reading every single issue that was being raised in, in the uh, repo.
1: Yeah, I mean, I still read most issues. Like I read, like I've read every single issue, every conversation ever on Lightning, right? Like just because <laughs> like, I, I, am, I think I get very anxious about bugs in my code. Like I'm I'm a perfectionist, I guess. So like, I hate having a bug just like sitting there. So I'm just like, oh my God, I have to fix this right now, right? Um, And you know, the, for better, for worse, PhD just like hones that ability to just like be obsessive about something. Um, And so I would sit there on the weekends and like, you know, the stuff helps me as well. So I'm like, yeah, of course I need to fix that too. Like I need it for my own stuff. And then, you know, you had, um, I think by September we had like 20,000 downloads, right? A lot of people using this stuff um, And and by December, I think we had about sixty-five thousand downloads, right? And so suddenly, I was like, "Oh, okay, well, like this is a lot, right?" <laughs> like, like Companies were using this. Facebook's using this. So I'm I'm sitting here and like talking to to Kyung Hyun yan yeah, I'm like, "Hey guys, like I'm sorry, like you know, I give you I can give you updates in a few weeks, but I'm just like coding lightning, like nonstop, like that's my update, right? Like that's what I've been doing." Um, and so luckily, I had a, a great. Set of core contributors and open source. The community was taken off, and people were starting to contribute. Um, and you know, Facebook's always been supportive, so they've always been super helpful as well. Um, so we continued, and then um, you know, like we were just growing super quickly. Um, and then a few months later, you know, we ended up. I ended up chatting with one of my friends, uh, Lewis, who's currently. You know, um, he used to. You know, Forbes, the magazine and the website. I guess he used to head up the machine learning there, and then. Um, he, uh, he went and built the machine learning team at Glossier, which is now a unicorn makeup company in New York, right? Um, and so I was like, hey, listen, like, um, you know, we wanna be able to kind of scale this stuff up and like companies are asking for a lot of stuff that's just not enlightening. So why don't we build that out? And like, you know, you, you come from the big companies. So like, let's let's use your knowledge as well. And so we ended up um, finding Grid out of that, right? And um, we ended up, you know, raising money and you know, and finally being able to hire people. Because even up to that point, it was like me primarily coding Mm on Lightning. Um, I think there's like a shocking stat about open source projects where it's like, most open source projects are maintained by like a few hundred people, (laughs) which is crazy. (laughs) So please contribute because we need your help, (laughs) right? (laughs)
0: What, what do you think was was the reason for this uh, huge adoption? Uh, because it just started as your own side project. I, I assume it was out of your own frustrations or just your side scripts that you put together into a repo. Uh, what what led to this huge adoption?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's like I you know like I I I come from the I, I've tried every framework for probably multiple years, right? So I used Theano for a year and change to like code stuff up, and then I used TensorFlow for years. I mean, my first po- paper was on TensorFlow. My second paper was on Keras, right? So I've tried all these frameworks and then PyTorch is like night and day. Um, And I was just still frustrated because it was like, the the thing that I needed to do was like, when you use PyTorch, you end up writing the same code over and over. Like you have one project and then you get it to work and then you're like, oh, I'm going to add 16 bit precision. And you're like, oh, I'm going to add this distributed thing. And then you go to a different project and then you're like, oh, well, I still want 16 bit and I still want that other stuff. So what you end up doing is you copy that file into a new file and then you change some code. (laughs) Right. And and then you end up with like 20 of these files. And then, you know, if a new thing comes out, you now have to add it to 20 other files. So nothing's in sync anymore. And so it just becomes a giant mess. And I was like, listen, this is like very time consuming and super slow. I was like, I need something that will like help me rep, like cut through all of this. I can move faster to ideas. Right. But because I'm a researcher, I need to be able to have all the flexibility in the world. So like Keras doesn't work. Right. Because like, like it does work for a lot of things, but like, if you want to get really crazy, like it has a lot of limitations. Right. So then I'm like, okay, well it's TensorFlow PyTorch, but like, I don't want to sit here and do everything manually. Right. And so I realized you could automate a lot of the stuff without losing the flexibility. Right. And so lightning came from that experimentation process and, you know, obviously having Facebook use it helped a lot because like they stress tested dramatically, right. Even for production. Right. And so so, so we have all these constraints and by satisfying all the constraints, you end up with lightning. Right. And I'm not sure there are a lot of ways to solve this problem because like, like what you see in lightning today now is something where like all of that stuff is removed, all of the boilerplate, but just the key stuff remains that is what you need to care about for research. Right. And then you leave it to us, like, you know, research engineers some people who are like focused on making these integrations happen, do that really well. And like, you know, when you have Facebook, when you have um, our team, when you have 300 plus open source contributors, and they're all from top labs, pushing the new state of the art ideas, like very quickly, you're going to realize that your own code is going to be very suboptimal most of the time, right? But you can just kind of jump on lightning. And like that code is already super well tested, optimized, it's ready to go for inference, it's ready to go for production, it's ready to go for training. And there are a lot of eyeballs and really smart people looking at it, right? So it's a, the difference between like building, it's like you buying all the car parts to build a Tesla or just buying a Tesla, right? Like it's going to be super optimized.
0: <laughs> Makes sense.
1: Um, yeah. So, so that's what it was. So that's how that came about.
0: And uh, as as I was mentioning to you off the record as well, uh, I've gone through all of the examples as my homework. But I really don't use uh, Lightning artwork just because the podcast takes most of my time. So, what what's the final vision for Lightning? How, do you think you've accomplished it, or are you still chasing it? Is, is it a constant goal, even if
1: you think? Yeah, I mean, it? I mean, Lightning is going to continue to evolve, right? I think the API is very stable now. It's it's unlikely to change, but we will continue to add new things, right? I think, um, I think like the the world of deep learning will continue to change, right? And so I don't know what the next paradigm is gonna be, but we're definitely gonna be in front of it, right? And I think like, when you look at historical frame, like the other frameworks, right? Like, you know, phenomenal frameworks, Teano, TensorFlow, PyTorch, um, and, and, um, and Keras, right? Like these frameworks came around when, what were we doing back then? We were building models, right? Like we were literally saying layer one, layer two, activation, layer three, activation, layer four. And then that is what cares is right it's a it's a thing to build a network but it's not to say it's not to build like a seek to seek it's not to build uh like a complicated like models interacting with each other that doesn't work right because it wasn't designed for that so and, and neither do the other frameworks right like PyTorch and TensorFlow, they they were also designed for this modular world and so you end up with a lot of unstructured code so so lightning um, I think where we are today in the world of research, this is the level of abstraction we need to be at, which is models interact with each other in really complex ways. And that's what Lightning is, right? Encapsulates all of that. So you don't have to sift through 20 pages of GitHub code to be like, oh, where, where's the thing? Like, where's the paper? Like, where is this happening, right? Um, you can read Lightning code and it's very clean. And so to answer your question, like, I don't know what's gonna happen in the next few years. Like, I think that this is a good paradigm for now, probably for a few years, but what is that next evolution that's going to happen, right? Whatever that is, like there will be abstractions that come to, to capture that. But I think we are on top of this stuff all the time and we move super fast. Like if you submit a bug to lightning or you have a feature, like we will get it done very quickly. So we will be very on top of new features and new paradigms that come out and just adjust as we continue. Right. And so the goal for lightning is to be the framework for machine learning and deep learning. Like if you want to do anything with deep learning, you should just be using lightning because we can abstract all of the stuff you don't care about. And so you can just focus on the work.
0: Uh, the, the motto on the pages, you do the research lighting, we'll do everything else. So uh, it really speaks to that. Um, you, you come from a very different background. Uh, someone who's in the Navy or in the finance world, uh, maybe the finance world is somewhat connected to coding. Many people are just afraid to make the jump into the world of coding. What's, what do you think is your reason for success? Because if I were to go to lightning's GitHub repo and just try to contribute, I would be terrified of even looking at the code and asking, Hey, is this a stupid question? Can, can I do this? What, what, what language are you guys speaking? So
1: do so you have any tips for there, anyone? Yeah. There's never a stupid question. Like I know you read on, on Twitter and, and everywhere else where it's like, don't go to a repo and like fix docs and like do that. Right. Like, we actually want that like come to lightning fix docs, right like come come make a small simple change fix typos we don't care like get started somewhere right like and get comfortable lightning is not scary to code right like i think the code is readable under the hood i think we just have to understand how it works right and i think it's always going to be really hard to make things extremely readable but we try our, our hardest right um and you know lightning does a lot of complex things so like yes it is doing a lot of stuff under the hood And because of that, like sometimes the code may not be clean, right? Um, But it it is very well thought out and structured. So I would say like, don't be afraid, like make a small change. We have tests. I think this is what you need to understand. We have a lot of tests and we have every single PR will test everything, right? So you can make a change and fix something and know if it's going to break anything else because we have a lot of tests. So you don't have to be afraid of that, right? Like I think people, if I think about it, when I was kind of coming into CS, like, um, making like when I started to learn, like, I I think like even my first iPhone app, what I did was I found a GitHub app and I pulled it and then I I changed like a color and I was like, Ooh, it's no longer blue. It's not red. (laughs) I was like, great. (laughs) Right. And I was like, Oh, I can, I can type in this text field. I was like, Oh my God, that's incredible. Right. And like, if you just pull it and like tweak it and like change some of it, you'll understand it a lot better. Right. Um, so don't be afraid to come and just contribute, do whatever you want. Like we will help you. Like it's, it's not like you're doing this on your own. You're not going to break anything. Like you're definitely not going to break anything because we will catch it. The test will catch it. Something's going to happen. And like, I will like, it's also learning opportunity. Like You get up there, you try to make a change and we will get up there and say, hey, this change will break this or that. Think about this, try to structure it this other way. Like it's a learning opportunity. Like where else do you get to learn from people who've been doing this for a long time and like know this stuff really well, right? Like this is like a mini PhD for free. Like all you have to do is just contribute, right? (laughs) Exactly. do,
0: do you think uh there are any core design philosophies in place uh for the api or uh the community that have come together over uh i think it's just under two years right now
1: yeah i mean i think i think we've standardized a lot of things right so so lightning introduced the lightning module right i think like that is the first time that anyone's ever grouped all the things you need for a model together right like e- even if you look at Keras and these other frameworks, like they all have optimizers and things dangling outside of it, right? But like all that stuff in Lightning is encapsulated. So, so I think um, there, there's an API of like, you know, training step and validation step and these kind of things. And these things did not exist before, right? Like we introduced those and put them together. Um, now what existed before Lightning were like trainers, right? People had trainers and like they had with their own ways of doing stuff. Um, and so I think like we've, we've adopted a lot of what we do in Lightning from our own work and research as well. Um, And I think like the, what I think what people are kind of standardizing on is something like a lightning structure, right. Um, Where you can kind of train models and and so on. Like, that's actually really cool because it means that all the models across the world would be able to work together. Right. And like, I think that that's a really cool idea. Like something that used to frustrate me a lot. I mean, I have a lot of frustrations about machine learning because (laughs) I'm someone like I don't, you know, I don't want to sit idle and just like let these things happen. And I think when I started doing research back in the day, like 2015, um, I remember having to implement baselines and I was so annoyed that I couldn't just find something that I could just run and it would work, right? And that, that wasn't standardized. And I was like, why isn't all this stuff just standardized so that you don't have to do this? Like how many, how many data scientists, machine learning engineers, PhD students spend like nine months implementing baselines, right? And then they run their own stuff. That sucks, like that's super slow. So I think with Lightning, if everyone standardizes on the Lightning module structure, that means that we should be able to kind of go around the world and like pull any GitHub repo and play with each other, right? And like run the baselines. And so that's a really cool idea. And, and I hope that we continue to do that, right? Um, and, and yeah, I think like, you know, we continue doing a lot of work on here, um, but it's, it's turned out to be very resilient, right? So the Lightning modules decoupled the data from the model from the hardware, right? So the Lightning module is just the model. Um, which is really cool. And um, yeah, it just it just makes reusability much, much easier.
0: All of these things people tend to ignore, uh, we were just talking about, I have this rig in the background just because it's a good conversation starter and I suck at uh, starting conversations. We were just talking about how different GPUs can also bottleneck stuff. And these are things that people don't realize, but you have to worry about it. Either you could worry about it as a user or it could be taken care of. So I, I think that's where all of this comes into play.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, honestly, like, it's just like a different time in, in the, in the development of AI, like, um, people are used to kind of learning from scratch, everything, like what's a for loop, what's a backward pass, forward lap, calculate, calculus, statistics, all this stuff. But like, we're, we're at the point where like, you don't need to know that right? you could just learn lightning directly. and like, don't worry about it. Like it, you can dig into it later. It's, it's like no, no one, like imagine if every time you wanted to drive, like buy a car, You would have to sit through a class on physics and like combustion engines and like mechanics and fluid mechanics and like all these different things, right? Like no one does that. You just buy the car and just drive it. And then certain people really enjoy cars and then they become mechanics and they really know how to work the cars, right? So just do the same. Just forget about all this stuff. Just start with lightning, (laughs) run it. And then if you really care about how it works, you can look into it and make your own modifications. Do your own distributed training. It doesn't matter, right? Like we're super flexible. You can do whatever you want in lightning. Um, but I, but I think it's just a time time for a different paradigm shift.
0: Uh, that allows me to segue into the masterclass that you've been putting together and even content. Otherwise I really loved your actually had read your articles on Forbes and then realized they are, they are by you while doing my homework. So thanks for those, what makes great, uh, AI content is this, this, tendency to also overhype stuff, over market stuff. What, what according to you is a uh, great content.
1: Um, I think great content is educational and factual right and I think that, you know, uh, we're, when we're going into machine learning and deep learning, we're entering an academic world right like it is largely academic right now. And academic is ruled by ethics right and attribution right because we built on each other's work. I think the beauty of academia and machine learning and AI is that people are allowed to come up with things and then people build on top of those things right to build even better things right and so. I think, um, I think great content is one that highlights that, how to work with things together, how to build on something, how to take an idea and, make it, and take it farther. Um, but I think you walk away with knowing something new that you didn't know before, right? I think that that's content, but I think at the heart of it has to be being ethical and being factual uh, about what you do, right? And I think that probably the more hype that you hear about a startup or some sort of machine learning idea, probably the less likely it is to work. Um, like, in fact, my last paper, you know, we published a paper on contrastive learning. And a lot of the paper is about that. It's about dehyping a lot of this because, you know, you see these methods, BYO, SimClear, all these things come out. And at the end of the day, they're all doing the the, the same thing. Like, it's all the same stuff with just one minor tweak, right? And a lot of this, you know, when you read the papers, it's really hard to know as a recent, like, as, as not a researcher that, like, people rationalize later like they find something and then they're like oh okay i think it's because of this and then they come up with some crazy math to like prove it right and it's like well that's not true right like <laughs> and so i think it's contrastive learning today is suffering from a lot of hype uh, as well
0: uh, what does a process for you look like i've i've enjoyed your articles on foods i've enjoyed your articles on medium both cater to somewhat different audience uh What's a what's process for you like when you're creating content, even even with video, when you're uh, creating a lecture, for example?
1: I mean, I think I just find stuff that I'm interested in um, and things that I, I, you know, because I'm reading all the issues and Slack or, like I know what people wanna know about as well and what, what the major topics of um, discussion are. And like, I just wanna extrapolate and explain to people. Like, I think I aim to give people insights um, into something that they may not know about, right? And I think I have the benefit of working with amazing people like who are just brilliant and you know, I can learn a lot from. And so so I try to relay a lot of what we talk about through these articles as well, right? Like, so you're 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 not just getting like me writing about something, you're also getting like the experience of Facebook AI, of of um Hyun of Yan, of Silver, of NYU Slab, right? Of the Lightning community, of a lot of people through there. So you're hearing a lot of a lot of explanations as well where i'm trying to just bring it down to a more natural level so people can understand it um so yeah i think i tend to focus and try to make things accessible. i think probably I, I have the hindsight of like literally not knowing how to code i mean i only learned how to code in 2013 right that's not that long so i can relate to like what's what it's like to look at a wall of i don't know cryptic text and be like i don't know what this is right <laughs>
0: And uh, your your journey as a, as we're going through this interview, I actually was trying to connect the dots in my head. Uh, I went through all of your articles. I could see the iOS ones from earlier. Then you're talking about how to train something on 128 GPUs, which we just talked about. Uh, it's it's really fascinating for the audience. I'll have uh, William's blog linked in, in the show notes. Would highly encourage everyone to check it out. I've, I've really enjoyed it.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. Uh, yeah, you're finding it. I mean, I guess a question for you, like, what what kind of content do you enjoy reading? Like what what excites you?
0: Um, depends on uh different forms that I'm trying to consume. So uh, if it's a blog, I would really like some depth to it. Uh, If it's a video, I would like some engagement. And uh, if it's a podcast, I hope it's nicely produced. So that, that's very broad just because I'm in this world. But otherwise, I would if I'm uh giving someone my time, I would like to learn something that they promise. So just just like you said, I I hope it's factual and not a waste of my time or not repetitive.
1: Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think I also find it frustrating that you know, if you Google something, so I, I wrote something about VAEs a few weeks ago. And I mean that that's something I've been needing to write for many months, because like Google VAEs for color like color images, good luck. Like there's nothing. And also <laughs> there's like so much wrong stuff, right? Everywhere. <laughs> Um, so I think we're also suffering from like a curation problem in, in machine learning at the moment. There's this also
0: way of click beating, but not quite where you talk about some stuff and you talk about it, but you don't teach the person how to create it. You just teach them a very vanilla version of it. And it leaves you mildly angry, but you can't be angry because they're not wrong. They're not right either.
1: Yeah, but it's, it's actually the end of the service, I think, because it, it like it will teach you like some ideas don't, don't they're not like, you know, math, we have this idea of like, um, like you extrapolate, right? You go from one and two and then the end case, right? So proof by induction. And uh, I think articles assume that they can do that. They can teach you an MNIST and then somehow that'll translate to image. Like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> yes. So, so I try to come up with realistic stuff that like would be able to translate to the more scalable things. Right. Um, because like, No one needs another VAE article on training MNES because it's really not representative of like what actually happens when you actually wanna use VAEs in the real world. (laughs) Exactly.
0: Uh, So we sort of took a segue coming back to the journey of Lightning. uh, At what point did you decide uh, to put together a team? I I think uh, you even co-founded Grid AI, which is uh, the company that is spending money on Lightning, if I'm correct. So how did you make that decision Was there any hesitation because uh, raising money for an open source project, uh, there can be diversification in the goals. Uh, Were there any such hesitations?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think think first and foremost, I care about the community and kind of like keeping things open and accessible to people. So I was very hesitant for a long time to do anything like that. Um, But I think I realized that we also needed it because it is extremely hard to maintain a fast growing open source project you know, I'm dedicating 24 hours a day every single day for, you know, a year, right? <laughs> and so you're gonna get burnt out at some point. And so I think like a lot of that money was like, okay, let's hire people to do this stuff full time. Like, but the problem is Lightning is super advanced and we do a lot of crazy stuff. So you need really amazing people. <laughs> um, and so you have to, you know, pay them well. And so um, that that's a lot of why like we would go for like a venture fund, right? Because like they're, um, they they can provide these kind of resources. Um, and then grid you know obviously grid is supporting lightning and providing all the funding and resources behind it because i think as companies continue to adopt lightning like they need to have reassurance that they're it's not just randomly going to disappear that when they have a bug and it's critical we're going to fix it right and i think that's the difference between something that's a kind of side project and an actual product right and i think lightning is now a product and it's something that um if you do need something like we will get back to you immediately and help you right like your company is not going to fail because of it. Your your research project is not going to fail. And I, I, so so those were some of the hesitations, right? Um, and then I think grid is about, you know, helping those companies scale up, right? So companies have very different requirements. And at the end of the day, like there's a lot of stuff that if you want to scale it up with lightning, you have to do it manually. You can still do it. And there are plenty of tools for this, um, but grid just automates that, right? Why? Because like companies just want out of the box solutions. and that's really what what we're trying to provide.
0: Uh, so, could you tell us a bit about Grid and your role? Uh, it seems like uh, you're focusing more on making machine learning infra independent. I just have three GPUs now, but I used to have one GPU. Why 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 do I need to worry about this stuff? At At what point should I worry about this stuff?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think anytime you're trying to, I mean, I have um I have a few GPUs at my house, and that's great for debugging. But as soon as you try to train anything that's meaningful you might have to scale up somewhere else, right? You might have to go to AWS or some cloud or your own cluster or whatever. Um, And so that's what GRID helps you do, right? So you can train at scale. So you can come to GRID and, you know, spin up a hundred machines like that, no problem. Um, You don't have to do anything. (laughs) And so it's really meant for people who need that scaling, right? Who needs a scaling? Um, Data scientists, machine learning engineers, a lot of company people, but also researchers, right? Like if you're doing serious research, you're going to have to scale up a lot. Um, and even for hobbyists, though, like, you know, like you can come and, you know, if you want to do Kaggle competitions or whatever you want, you can spin up 50 machines very quickly in grid and be done with it in 20 minutes. Right. <laughs> um, whereas it, it's, it's about trading time and speed, basically. Um, so, so that's a lot of what grid helps you do.
0: So uh, if I'm taking part on a Kaggle competition and if I have GCP credits in one and AWS in another one, I don't have to worry about learning the API Also, I can just use uh, the CLI I assume for for that task.
1: Yeah, exactly. So you can just come in, um, drop your project, train some stuff and then be done with it. Right. Um, So I think like we have an early access program right now where, you know, you can obviously sign up and get early access to that um, and then you can try it out. So we're, we're still not fully public. So we, we, you know, there are a lot of cool features that, uh, you know, you, I'll have to tease you with, <laughs> sure. um, but yeah, I mean, if you want to do cattle competition, I think grid is an amazing resource, obviously. Um, so yeah, you definitely try it out, but feel free to sign up and, you know, we have a long list right now, but we're trying to get through people quickly <laughs> um, and, you know, we'll ping you and onboard you and um, and hopefully you can try running some things and uh, you know, see how it goes.
0: I'll have the website linked in the show notes as well. Uh, generally speaking, I'm very curious about how you balance time. Is it is it, does it go back to your roots from from uh, the army? Just just being very stringent with about how you manage your time, or is it completely passion driven? Because you're also doing research, you're also leading teams, you're also maintaining the open source code. Your GitHub has the almost perfect year uh, where you have a commit almost every single year. I was just looking at that. So h- how, how do you manage your time?
1: Um, yeah, I think a lot of it comes from, from the military. I think, I think when you're going, um, I think especially for special operations, like you're, you're like, and you know, again, like I, I did not become an Navy SEAL. So like, I think you obviously learn a lot more, uh, once you're doing a lot of deployments and in, in the SEAL teams for a lot of years, but at least what you can take away from training is, um, like, an intense focus on something right like nothing else in the world exists except that one thing right and like that that's the kind of mentality you need you need to be able to like get through stuff so i tend to when i code and i work i tend to just focus only on that thing and like i don't check phones i don't check email i don't get distracted i like kind of i don't know just like overly focus and completely dive into that right and so i think i think people call that flow i don't know like i i i just what kind of what I was trained to do. And so I tend to just jump into that mode very quickly and stay there for a long time. And I won't come out of it until I'm done solving that problem, right? And that's why I also try not to code in the afternoons because if it's a, it's a, I, I recommend this for everyone. Like if you're coding on something hard, don't start in the afternoon because it may take you until three in the morning. <laughs>
0: <Right>? <laughs> We've all been there where, where we started in the afternoon and you look outside, the sun is coming up and you're thinking, yeah. is it is it dusk, is it dawn? <laughs>
1: And there's it's always like this. It's like, okay, oh, I found it. It's like right, I just need to run it, it's gonna fix it. And then you're you're like, oh, that's not it. And then like it's always like you're almost done for seven hours, right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh do you have any other learnings that you could share probably from uh leading teams at two startups, uh just simply speaking, or uh, any insights that you've you've learned from uh leading teams of people?
1: Yeah, I mean I think I think like I was taught to lead from the front, right? Like I think in, in the SEAL teams, like you're never gonna do something that like I think it's one of the unique places in, in the military where everyone goes through the exact same training, no matter what your rank is. So you're sweeping the floors with everyone. Like doesn't matter what your rank is, you're you know, freezing, you're going through all the hard stuff together. But as a leader, you're always in it first, right? And so I think I always lead from the front. Like, I will never ask someone to do something that I haven't done or can do or will do with them. Right. And so I think leading teams is about, I think you can get it really far by just being there, like being being the person that's like inspiring and like going, you know, going really hard. And like, think about it as a race. Like, if we're running and the team is running with you, like, I'm going to try to be running really fast so everyone else can keep up. Right. Um, whereas I think you have other approaches which are more management and that's, that, that's less effective. Right. And that's managing is not leadership, right? Managing is, did you all run the race? Great. Good job. Practice and do it again tomorrow. Whereas a leader, it's like, Hey, I'm running with you. Okay. Now you're tired. Great. Let's go run again because I'm going to do it. And if I can do it, you can do it. Right.
0: (laughs) That's, that's a difference between, uh, leading and managing for sure. Um, zooming out, uh, you're also interested in AI for social impact. Uh do you have any uh favorite projects that might have come up in the recent times or uh anything that you you are excited about in, in this domain?
1: Yeah, I mean I think there's a lot of stuff on privacy right now. Federate learning, I think, is really interesting. But I think also like um there there have been a lot of like boot camps in places like Indaba and Latin America to teach people from other countries and I think that's really powerful right because we have a really big problem today in the eye of underrepresentation, right where everyone's like the same background and um, I think when you're coming from places like Latin America like it's really hard to get access to these resources and you know I'm I'm fortunate enough to be in the U.S. and like you know I moved um, when I was around high school and and so like i've had the luxury of being able to and the privilege now of like being here and being in this system and like knowing it now right um but a lot of people don't right and so i think it's really important for those for those of us who like are here and have access to these resources now and like know where we're coming from as well to give back and to and to and to empower those communities as well right um so i care a lot about that i care a lot about diversity i care a lot about um who's getting into machine learning and ai because you know, after after spending um, time in the military, going through public schools, and then going to like an Ivy League school, um, I realized that like the difference is a lot of times it's not really intellect; it's opportunity, right? It's like there are a lot of really smart people who, given the same tutoring and everything else, would be in the same situations. Um, so I think it's just about leveling that playing field. Um, so I think I think um, on the research side, I, I'm not I don't, I don't like. I think a lot of the work that, you know, people like Tim are doing for debiasing and highlighting these issues is really powerful. Right. And I think that we need to continue doing that. And then I think beyond that is also the, the kind of like reach of teaching people. Right. And so, um, I think, uh, in was a good one. There's one in Latin America as well. Um, so if we can continue to build these like that, that's, I think what we'll take, um, to kind of like bring people into the field and honestly like we want to make impact in these countries but like unless you're from there it's very hard to do right like there's this weird thing in silicon valley where people are like oh i'm gonna change the world and like you know <laughs> low-income mexico and you're like you've never even been there you're not from there like that's crazy right
0: <laughs> exactly I was, uh, I had a chance to interview Sarah Hooker from Google Brain and we were exactly talking about this. In India, I stay in a small city. Uh, I have three backups of internet. One is my phone, another dongle right here. Just because I can't rely on the Fiverr internet at my home and people in the US don't understand what this is just because they're yeah, still used they to it. they take
1: it for granted. It's crazy. Like, they take things for granted, like even electricity, like Venezuela, right? I mean, blackouts all the time. Like imagine, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like you have to worry about your electricity. Like what, like the the privilege is so embedded that like, like, you know, in the U S you can sit here and like, you know, you're going to eat, you know, you're going to have electricity, you know, your computer is going to work. Um, you know, you have an access to a cluster probably. And like, even those basic things, like it's so embedded that you have no idea. Other people, they're like, man, am I gonna make it to a library today? I'm like, is the power gonna go out? Can I train models, right? Like, <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> I paid as much as my 20 TTI for a UPS just because <laughs> I need power backup to t- sustain model t- training.
1: Yeah, so I, th- I think we all need to be aware of that. And I'm like, I don't know, just give back, like, you know, do what you can to give back because inclusion and impact is gonna come from people in those communities going back and doing something for the communities right um so yeah
0: we definitely need more leaders at like you uh another broad question uh and you can pick one or two or maybe more projects any favorite uh, things that have come out of pytorch lightning community any projects any research work any competitions i know there are many kagglers who use it extensively now
1: yeah yeah actually i love um I think Dieter's doing a great job on Kaggle. He's like winning things left and right, which is amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think TorchDin is really cool as well. So, this is a PD. So, I don't do PDs, right? I don't. I don't. So, to me, it's just amazing. Um, like, the stuff that you can do with it is really cool. Um, and then I think NVIDIA Nemo is amazing. Like, Nemo is bringing in a lot of like Texas speech, automatic speech recognition, NLP. Um, it's like such a simple way right and like making it super accessible so those a really cool projects and i think people should definitely check them out um i mean people build things with lightning all the time and i try to stay on top of it there are a lot of cool things like just get on the, there are over a thousand projects that are open source right now right um i mean it, you're not even talking about like the things that people and companies are doing right like we have um yeah i, I won't say it now because we'll have uh, some articles and stuff come out but like really incredible science places that like, you know, people, like they're doing an incredible job working with lightning um, and the stuff they're doing is phenomenal. Right. And so, yeah, like, I don't know, it's uh, I'm, I'm very humbled obviously. And like, you know, I, I think we take a lot of the credit, but like a lot of it honestly goes to PyTorch and you know, the team there, like they're doing incredible work. We're simply just making it more accessible. And like, we, we work very closely with them now and a lot of features and, and new things. Um, like recently we released um, Sharded where, you you don't have to do anything to Lightning. Literally change a string, just plugins equals sharded. And then you can get uh, memory savings on your models, like 50, 60%, right? Um, Like everyone can try this today. Like you're just running Lightning, go plugins equals sharded and it'll work. And that stuff comes from Facebook that we worked on with them, right? And like they implemented this and they spent a lot of time working on this and we helped them integrate it. And like through that process, we both learned a lot, right? And so these collaborations will continue. And I think it's very beneficial for everyone. Um, so, so again, um, yeah, like lightning, I think is, is a place where you're going to get access to a lot of these, like new things that are coming from these crazy companies, but just check out the projects. They're really incredible. Um, yeah, I wish I had more examples right now. Uh, I think those are the ones that stand out at the moment because I was also looking at them recently, but, um, Facebook has one too. It's called faster Mirai. Um, that one's really cool. So check that one out.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll try to have all of these links in the show notes. Uh, my final question, it's usually a repeat one. Uh, generally speaking, what's your best advice to someone who's just starting their machine learning journey today?
1: Yeah, I think I think forget about, I mean, I think everyone's going to hate me for this, but like, don't worry about calculus. Don't worry about statistics. Like, it's fine, <laughs> right? Like, it's, it's not a huge deal. Like, go start with a high-level library. Like, it doesn't matter what you use. Just start with a high-level library. Obviously, I prefer to use Lightning and try it out. <laughs> <laughs> but there are a lot of great libraries you can start with. Um, And then just just solve tasks, just solve something, right? Like solve classification, solve, um, you know, anything. Kaggle is probably a good place to get started just to try things out, right? But just try to get to a point where you can solve something first and then dig in if you care about it, right? Like then dig in into the calculus, then dig in into the stats. I think if you're going to go into a professional setting where you do want to use machine learning, um, you will have to know a little bit about it so that you can make some tweaks and obviously know what a distribution is. but like don't let the math be the bottleneck as to why you're not getting into machine learning and deep learning. Just take it for granted. Like no one's, you're not like it's, it's to me, it's like, again, the car, it's like you choosing not to drive cars because you don't know how an engine works. Right. Like, I don't know.
0: (laughs) Uh, Top down learning. I'm a huge fan of it. I come from the fast A world, which is very similar to PyTorch lightning. And uh, I'm a big believer of it.
1: Yeah, and, and honestly, like I think they've done a phenomenal job at doing the top to, uh, top down learning, right? Like and I think that's what a lot of libraries are for is to teach you those things, right? And so I think it's a good example of executing that well.
0: Uh, William, thanks again for your time. You're underscore will falcon on Twitter. That's his username. Also there in the show notes. Uh, any other places where people from the audience can connect with you?
1: Um. Yeah, Twitter and you know GitHub. <laughs> so open an issue, submit a pull request, uh, I'll probably answer you at some point. Uh, Slack, we have a Slack community as well. Um, but really like we help you with anything. Like people come up, they're asking about everything and we help them. They're like, oh, I can't implement this or I can't run this or whatever. We will work with you, right?
0: Probably don't don't open an issue saying this was a good episode, please send him a tweet. Uh, William, thanks again for your time and for sharing such an amazing journey that you have had and for such an insightful conversation.
1: Well, thank you for having me, Sanyam. And amazing. I'm, I'm a fan. So, uh, yeah, I hope people continue listening to the to the other episodes um, <laughs> and, you know, continue learning from you. So thank you for what you're doing as well.
0: You too, Kane. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.